Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another Arse Blog Arsecast on arseblog.oleole.com. It's a busy show. It really is, I promise. I'll tell you all about it. As soon as the music starts to fade, stay tuned. So welcome to another Arsecast, another Friday, and another load of aural goodness for your pleasure. Coming up on this show, the man in the bar is back after a couple of weeks away. He's got a player history. We have also got a tale of the unexpected, and I'll be talking to Alex Finn, who is the uh, co-author of the book Arsenal, The Making of a Modern Super Club, uh, all about Arsene Wenger, and uh, some thoughts and insights uh, into what the boss has been thinking and is thinking, uh, as Alex has had some contact with him in the very recent past. So some insightful stuff to come between uh, now and the end of the show. As well as that, you will have a chance to win yourself a cashmere Savile Rogue scarf, so stay tuned. So, since the last Arscast, well, what's been happening? We were here last Friday talking about how vital the Chelsea game was. Um, and I think we were talking um, with more hope in our hearts than expectation. I think that's fair to say. Our form leading up to the Chelsea game wasn't great. It was rubbish. We conceded five goals in two league games. Uh, beaten 2-0 by Aston Villa, 3-0 by Manchester City. We'd looked pretty bad in both of those games. And you're going to somewhere like Stamford Bridge, where Chelsea have lost once in four years. Uh, so it was a huge, a huge ask for the team. Uh, we made life very difficult for ourselves, of course, with uh, giving them a goal. Almunia's throw wasn't good. Uh, Nasri's defensive work wasn't good. Uh, and Juru put into his own net. So you're thinking at halftime, 1-0 down, oh, we've just made this even more difficult for ourselves than it should have been because we'd done all right, I think, in the first half. Had a couple of half chances. There was one that just fell behind Gallus, if I remember correctly, and uh, we, we'd done okay, but then sort of shot ourselves in the foot a little bit with, with that particular goal. And even into the to the second half, I was looking at the team and looking at the midfield and thinking, you know, I just don't see how we're going to get something from this game. And what's great about football is that uh, you often get something from somewhere you don't expect. And uh, an offside goal, Robin Van Persie was very clearly offside. Uh, I think 99 times out of 100, the linesman would have lifted his flag. Uh, he didn't this time. Van Persie finished really, really well with his right foot, uh, straight into the top corner. Uh, and those are the kind of things that uh, change games and change seasons, I suppose we can hope. 1-1, uh, and you're thinking, okay, yeah, this is all right, maybe, yeah, we can hang on for a 1-1, that's pretty good. A couple of minutes later, Sesk floats the free kick in, Addy Bayor knocks it down, Van Persie whacks it in, and it's 2-1. All of a sudden, you're thinking, oh, oh, ah, football, I've missed you. 
Uh, and I was expecting, I have to say, a bit of an onslaught from Chelsea. I thought they were going to come at us big time. I thought we were going to get battered for the last uh, 25, 30 minutes or whatever it was. Uh, but it just didn't happen. Chelsea were fairly toothless. Uh, they should have been down to 10 men when John Terry went in with that horrible tackle on uh, Bakary Sanya. Should have been sent off. Should have been replayed all week. But it wasn't, of course, because he's England captain. And England captains don't get sent off. That's just the way it is. Ivanovic, I suppose, was lucky as well. He'd been booked. Eventually, he was booked. And then uh, he, he performed the kind of challenge that Alex Song specializes in, which is the guy goes to run past him, and he just stands in his way and blocks him and then goes, What? I was just standing here, Rev. Which is the thing Alex Song does best in all of football. He can block people off. But Song gets booked every single time he does it. He gets booked. Um, I think uh, Ivanovic was lucky to stay on the pitch. But anyway, the point is, is that we won the game 2-1. Of course, it's still a huge long way to go in the season, and we're still a good uh, good number of points back. Uh, but it, it keeps things open, because had we lost that game, then, you know, there was absolutely no chance of us doing anything. Uh, now the chance is, is still very slim, but at least it's there. To be in December and to be out of things entirely would have been just just horrible, really. Just horrible. So uh, credit to the lads. It was a great win. Showed great character. As I said in the blog, you could go through uh, the players' performance by performance and, and nitpick and, you know, criticize if you wanted to. But sometimes you just have to look beyond the individual into the team and the team won the game. And that really is the most important thing. Three points came home. Of course, uh, we've been in this sort of position before where we've won a big game and then let ourselves down badly following that. Uh, particularly, as we just said, the Manchester United game, which was a massive win as well, and then we went and lost the next two league games. Uh, so we've got to build on this. Uh, perhaps a new captaincy is uh, solidifying things and making people a little more focused, and maybe they're willing to go that a uh, little bit further for, for Fabregas than they were for William Gallas. I don't know, but maybe, maybe. We'll see tomorrow when we play Wigan, uh, when three points is, of course, an absolute must. But uh, a win over Chelsea, of course, is fantastic. And to win at Stamford Bridge, even better. So midweek then, we had the Carling Cup and we played Burnley, a team that we beat last season in the FA Cup. Uh, the kids went up there uh, and they had their chances, no doubt about it. But, you know, when you don't take your chances, uh, you're going to get punished. We didn't. Burnley took theirs. And I'm sure our players are looking at the goals that we conceded and thinking, yeah, we could have done better. We could have done better there. We could have done better defensively. We could have done better in front of goal. Um, but that's just the way it goes, isn't it? When you've got a young team like that, just sometimes it doesn't happen. If the the early chance, I think, for Bentner had gone in, then maybe it would have been an entirely different game. That they get that confidence, they get ahead, um, and, and Burnley would have been scared then. Uh, I think had we gone that goal ahead so early, they'd be thinking, oh God, they're going to do what they did to Sheffield United or they're going to do what they did to Wigan. Uh, but uh, losing as much as winning is part of learning in football. And these uh, young guys, some of them will come back next season and play in the Carling Cup uh, and they'll have learned from it. Some of them won't, probably. You see, some of that team maybe won't be at Arsenal next year. Uh, but I think uh, we've got to give them credit for the two games that came beforehand. The Wigan game, the Sheffield United game, raised spirits and uh, gave us something to enjoy at times uh, when the first team were really, really struggling. And to watch football without that pressure and that, that sort of expectation was, was great fun. So well done to the lads and uh, uh, hopefully they can take it one step further next season. In fact, two steps further would be better. Two steps further and then win it, if, if you know what I mean. They get to the final, but we make sure they win it. 
So that's uh, all the football stuff uh, that's happened between last Arscast and this Arscast. A little bit later on, we'll be looking ahead to the Wigan game, some team news about that, giving you a fantasy football update. Man in the Bar will be here with a player history, and uh, there's a tale of the unexpected as well. Now, though, I'd like to welcome a guest to the Arscast. Alex Finn, uh, amongst many other things, is the co-author, along with Kevin Witcher of The Gooner, of Arsenal, The Making of a Modern Super Club, a book we've been giving away uh, on the blog this week. Three signed copies, and I have to say the response uh, to that competition is absolutely staggering. I've never seen so many emails in all my life in all the years of Arsblog. We've never had a response to a competition like that. Uh, So, uh, Alex, welcome to the Arscast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, now, I know you've you've spoken to Arsene Wenger recently. Um, has he given you any thoughts on how Arsenal's season is progressing and and the inconsistencies that, that we've suffered to this point? Well, you have to understand our relationship, first of all. I, I have the good fortune to be a neighbour and an acquaintance. And although I've worked for Arsenal in the past, uh, I owe Arsenal nothing at the moment. And therefore, I feel free to speak as I see it. And I get the feeling that because I know Arsene quite well, um, I'm one of the few people who challenge him. So I spoke to him about uh, the lack of transfer activity in the summer. And the one revealing thought that uh, he came up with was that he certainly is aware that the defence needed reinforcements. And he had his eye on two particular players. And not being able to get them he felt he'd better settle with what he had because what he had was better than any alternative. Did he give you any indication of why it was he couldn't get them? Was it a, a question of availability or was it, was it money? Well, I don't, I, ha, I don't probe him in the way that um, maybe a fan does. I've got to be careful. I'm, uh, I'm either a, a friend or a fan. I, you, know, mm. you can't be both. So I will ask him certain questions and I'll make certain criticisms but I won't ask him the things that perhaps you would dearly want me to ask him. Mm, sure. Um, in terms of this season, then, uh, his priorities, what, what was he focusing on, particularly at the start of the season? He knew that there were um, problems off the field in terms of uh, the financial situation. Um, they resolved themselves quite, quite quickly. There, there, there was... Um, uh, a time when they, the board were pretty concerned about the development of Highbury Square. Um, that resolved itself. So, so far as he was concerned, he had money to um, use the transfer market if he so wished. But he felt about all that uh, the young players that he developed would develop even further this season. And unless he could buy an experienced player who would not only be better than them in the the long term, but would also maybe um, compensate for some of their deficiencies in inexperience. He was going to stick with what he'd got. And that that is what his priorities were, to try and make the squad that he had developed with one or two um, additions, like Nasri, um, into an even better squad. Do you think possibly that, um, given the way things have gone this season and the inconsistencies that the team has shown, uh, that his thinking on that will have changed somewhat? Uh, He's a a very proud man, and he's obviously a a genius of a manager. 
but as he himself has said, um, nobody is perfect, uh, least of all me. And the problem is that though he surrounds himself with experts in particular fields, for example, osteopathy or nutrition or, or even goalkeeping, um, he doesn't actually take that advice if it goes against his instinct. And I do think that he backed his judgment and he now feels that maybe he could have lowered his sights a bit better. Um, for example, he he does know that um, you don't really win a premiership or a Champions League without a, a truly international class goalkeeper, a pair of six foot five world class centre halves, a midfield that scores goals, or to make use of the wings. This was the sort of, or these were the sort of points I put to him um, a little way into the season. And his answer was pretty inconclusive on, on some of them. Um, so far as the uh, defence is concerned, I, I've indicated that he certainly recognised reinforcements, tried to get them and failed and stuck with what he'd got. He does know that the defence does need improvement. Um We've heard Arsene talk, we know all about his, his background in economics, so maybe that's overplayed a little bit, but he's obviously very conscious of the uh, the way that Arsenal can spend money and the amount of money in the game, because he's spoken recently about some clubs living in what he called a dreamland, um, yeah. particularly in the current financial uh, climate worldwide. He's very conscious of, of what Arsenal can spend. Do you think that the balance, perhaps, between his economic savvy and what the team needs maybe needs to be addressed i certainly do but i don't think it's something that anybody else has pointed out to him um at long last arsenal are getting um a chief executive with the right background and perhaps the right age who will probably challenge him on certain aspects of um strategy off the field which the current board have not done so I think that um, he's a, a very uh, sensible man in, in terms of Arsenal is, is not just um, a job, but it's an affair of the heart. And he will take advice if it comes, I think, from the right quarter and if it comes back up maybe incessantly. Um, so I think that uh, Arsenal is set fair not only with with Arsene recognising, even if he hasn't done it publicly, that he could have handled things better pre-season with regard to the team, and with the board at last recognising that or, although age gives experience, it doesn't necessarily give them the experience in marketing and technology that is needed, and they have addressed that with the appointment of a new chief executive. Ivan Gazidis is the man who's coming in from the MLS. He's got a, a, a very good background in terms of football administration. Um, and what you talk about, Arsene, taking advice, given um, David Dean's departure, Keith Edelman's departure, Ken Fryer has been doing a lot of the work. I'm not questioning, under any circumstances, Arsene's uh, commitment to Arsenal or anything like that, but do you think it's possible that he was operating within a kind of a comfort zone for the last little while, and will this appointment change that? Undoubtedly. Um, will the appointment change it? I hope so. It's important to, to go back and recognize that um, uh, David Dean wasn't so much his partner as his sidekick. Uh, David Dean did, in Arsene's own words, my dirty work for me. 
but he didn't challenge him. He didn't challenge him. Certainly, he would never challenge him on tactics or playing strategy. He probably also didn't challenge him on selection or choice of staff. So um, I don't think that anyone is going to come up and replace uh, David Dean as a loyal ally in uh, loyal ally in that sense. But you have to remember that nobody really challenged Arsene in the past. Um, Ken Fryer, an excellent administrator, made sure that the ship was um, running along the right rails, to mix my metaphors. Um, uh, Peter Hillwood, a custodian of the history and tradition of the board. Um, There wasn't a plan to, and there wasn't a challenge for Arsene. If this man is to come in and do the right job as a chief executive, he will have to say, um, well, as a company, uh, we're a business. To be a successful business, we have to have a successful team. And if we can see ways of improving the team, which will directly affect the business, then we will do it. So I think there will be a dialogue between the two of them. And let's hope it's one that uh, they both agree to look at it in the same way. Would it be fair to say, though, that uh, in the past, Arsene and Arsene were, were much more successful, that trophies were coming on a more regular basis, so there wasn't necessarily the need uh, to challenge him in that regard? Well, I think there's always a need. Um, Arsene, for example, stands um, where he does in the technical area. Um, he does have advice from his friend and colleague. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Bora Primarac in the stand who will, who will look at the perspective of the game. But Arsene himself makes tactical changes more often than not on the basis of physical reasons rather than technical ones. There is a need for uh, everybody, however gifted they are, to have a a good number two. If you look at Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester United, to name just three of Arsenal's key rivals, they all have much more solid backup, men of quality who will challenge the, the manager in each of those cases. So you would advocate a change that maybe uh, it's too easy for Arsene with Pat Rice on the bench? Certainly it's far too easy for, for him. I don't think Pat Rice does... 
far be it for me to criticise someone who's been such a, a loyal servant to Arsenal for so long. But what you need is you need the quality and the calibre of somebody like Carlos Quiros, who could manage a top club or a country in his own right. And I don't think Pat Rice fulfills those qualifications. Okay, finally, um, January is coming, and I think uh, pretty much every Arsenal fan is looking forward to January because we, we want to see what uh, what he's going to do and is he going to address those problems. What are your thoughts on, on what he's going to do in terms of the transfer market? Well, he's prioritised the defence. Um, when I've commented to him that um, he doesn't use, uh, this would have been pre-season, this comment, that he doesn't use the whip that's available to him at uh, the new stadium. Um, certainly, uh, Walcott has had much more opportunities this year until his untimely injury. Um, certainly, he accepts the fact um, that goals from midfield have dried up uh, in comparison to uh, the Pires era. Um, but he will always say it's the defense that worries him. And I think... I would be most surprised if there wasn't um, action in the transfer market in January to strengthen the defence. And one reason that makes me more confident of saying it now rather than last year. Last year he took the line, if you buy someone in January, they need some time to adapt. Well, Liverpool have shown him with Skirtle that this isn't necessarily the case. And... um, Although we should only qualify it in terms of past success, desperate times call for, if not desperate measures, certainly much more action in the transfer market. Uh, Alex, thank you very much uh, for taking the time to talk to uh, the Arscast. I hope we can talk to you again. It was my pleasure, and I hope we can do so again as well. Some really, really interesting stuff there. I think you'll agree. That was Alex Finn, and the book he wrote with Kevin Witcher of the Online Gooner and the Gooner magazine, of course, is uh, Arsenal Making of a Modern Super Club. We've been giving away copies on the blog this week. They were rather special copies signed by Arsene Wenger himself, and I have to say, I've never seen a response like it uh, to a competition on Arse blog. There were at least 2,500 entries uh, to this particular competition. So as you can imagine, three into two and a half thousand, the odds were very, very slim. So well done to the three people who did win those copies. Very special copies. I don't even have one. That's how special they are. Uh, but if you would like to pick up the book for yourself, I would recommend it. It is a very good read. If you want to buy it for somebody for Christmas, do check out the blog today because it gives you a link to the publisher's website and a code to use, which will get you the book at a discount price. Well worth reading for all Arsenal fans this Christmas. So there you go. Thanks again to Alex Finn. Now, uh, before we go any further, let's go to the bar where the man in the bar, he's got a player history. Welcome to another player history, right here on the Earthcast. Where have you been for the last two weeks, I can hear you say? Well, it was a top-secret mission which took me to the far-flung corners of the globe. Actually, I had diarrhea. See, for two whole weeks I had diarrhea. I was snorting modium and everything, and nothing worked. Eventually it stopped, though. I was able to get back to the bar and get some Guinness and, and produce... A more substantial and much more solid log. I'm sure you're all very happy to hear that. Today we have a fellow who's a real Arsenal legend. He had three surnames, you know. That's right. Ian Wright. Right. Right. 
He joined Arsenal in 1991 from Crystal Palace, and he was already 42 years old. He'd only become a professional footballer at 34, having spent most of his life as a tradesman, specialising in entrances. George Graham brought him in and he started as he meant to go on. He scored in his debut in the League Cup against Leicester City and he scored a hat-trick on his league debut against Southampton. He won the Golden Boot in his first season, scoring 29 league goals, 5 for Crystal Palace and 31 in all competitions. He went on to be Arsenal's leading scorer for the next six seasons. He won trophies, like the FA Cup final in which he scored in both finals against Sheffield Wednesday. He also helped Arsenal get to the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup final in 94 and scored in every round of the 95 Cup Winners' Cup campaign. Apart from the final, when that stupid cunt scored that goal. Oh, it still gets my goat, that one. Bruce Rioch came to Arsenal then when George Graham got sacked and he didn't necessarily like Ian Wright because Wright was a bit of a devil-may-care, laugh-or-joker kind of a fella. Rioch didn't take kindly to his practical jokes in the dressing room and found that when he set John Hartson on fire before a crucial league game, it very much upset his tactical plans. Wright and Burkamp began to strike up a wonderful partnership, but because of the difficulties with Rioch, it looked like he could be on his way out of the club. Instead, it was Rioch who went, and Arsene Wenger arrived. He still scored regularly, though, in 96-97, scoring 23 goals, and on the 13th of September 1997, he broke Cliff Baston's long-standing Arsenal goal-scoring record by scoring a hat-trick against Bolton Wanderers. Everybody had a great laugh because he celebrated breaking the record one goal too early. Then he did his hamstring, and his Arsenal career was more or less over when Christopher Ray played in the cup final instead of him. He went on to play for West Ham, Nottingham Forest, Celtic and Burnley before retiring from the game. After he retired, he took an extensive course in how to talk complete and utter bollocks, something he specialises in to this day on his radio show with TalkSport Radio. It's true. We'll have another player history from the man in the bar on next week's Arscast. Now, I saw something uh, during the week and forgot all about it until I got an email yesterday from Eric in Sweden. Uh, the Willow Foundation are doing a thing called Stars on Canvas 2008 to raise money for their charity. Of course, we know all about it. It's uh, set up by Bob Wilson, a former Arsenal player and Arsenal coach. It was Arsenal's charity of the year last year, I think, or the year before, perhaps. But what they've done is this thing called Stars on Canvas, where they've just got people to draw a doodle, and uh, people can bid on the on the doodles. There's uh, all kinds of people involved, loads of Arsenal players, uh, actors, actresses, and, and loads of people that I haven't heard of at all. However, uh, one of the people that you, most of us will have heard of is, is Matt Damon. Uh, and he's drawn two little doodles, which is which is fantastic. Uh, one of them is uh, is an Arsenal friendly one. It says "Go Arsenal" and it's red and loads of little footballs. Well, the other one it says "Tottenham sucks" and there's a goal going on the other end and it goes "Go." So Matt Damon hates Tottenham and he likes Arsenal. So there you go. Uh, it's quite cool, I think. Uh, if you want to go along and have a look, it's willowfoundation.org.uk forward slash stars on canvas. Uh, some of the things are, are quite uh, quite cool. Sesc Fabregas has drawn a little sun 
a lot of the Arsenal ones are just uh, the number of the player uh, with a with a signature. Uh, but there's all kinds of stuff there, some interesting stuff. And the uh, Matt Damon ones, I'm sure, will be uh, of interest to all people who hate Tottenham. And that's all of us, I'm sure. Now, on last week's Arsecast, I gave you the chance to win a Savile Rogue scarf. I asked you, who scored Arsenal's goal at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea last season? The answer was... Bakary Sanya. It wasn't William Gallas, like many of you answered. That was uh, the home game. But Sanya scored uh, to put us ahead in that game. And then, of course, we lost and he got injured. And it was all very depressing. Anyway, the random number generator uh, has done its thing. And the winner of the scarf is James Anderson. So well done to you, James. Uh, the Savile Rogue scarf in all its cashmere glory will be on its way to you shortly. Now, don't worry if you haven't won the scarf uh, last week. You've got another chance right now to get one of those glorious neck warmers. All you have to do is answer the following question. Uh, when we played Wigan last year, we beat them 2-0 at home. Who scored the second goal? Who scored goal number two against Wigan at the Grove? The answer, please, to arsecast at arsblog.com. That is arsecast at arsblog.com. The random number generator will do its thing and pick the winner on next week's show. Now, a tale of the unexpected. Welcome to Tales of the Unexpected on the Arsblog Arscast. Hello, my name is George, and I've got another tale of the unexpected for you. This week I was going around the place selling Christmas decorations. Do you want any snowmen to put in your garden? Or a baby Jesus, or even a Jesus and Mary that can hang out the window? And then, when Christmas is gone, you can plant flowers in it. It's like you've got a holy house. You don't. Well... You'll burn in hell. Mark my words. Anyway, Tara was going around unsuccessfully trying to sell these high-class items and I saw a sign on the road. It said, Left, Dublin, Right. Parallel Dimension. So I thought she's have been in Dublin lots of times, but it's rare that I've ever experienced a Parallel Dimension. So I went down the Parallel Dimension road and I found myself in an Irish bar, where everybody was witty, and not too drunk and nobody was fighting with each other. They had the football on the telly then. It was Arsenal against Chelsea, and in came John Terry with a toe-footed tackle. The referee sent him off. And then afterwards, the pundits on the TV were highly critical of his challenge, saying it was dangerous and could have endangered a fellow professional. They called for him to get an extra ban and they replayed the incident over and over again until the FA were forced to do something about it. As you might imagine, that wasn't at all unexpected to me. I was in a parallel dimension. I told you. We will have more Tales of the Unexpected on Arscast in the very near future. Now, just to give you a quick look at the Arsblog uh, Mini League and the fantasy football game, the top five, Rock Warriors in fifth place on 739, 752 in fourth place, Arson's Red and White Army, Mistaken on the Pants, 758, 763, Hoppo's Heroes in second place, 
And in first place, Attraction 11, they are on 787 points and 18th overall in the uh, Fantasy Football League. So well done to you guys. Me, meanwhile, I'm... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fucking I'm miles down. Absolutely miles down. Yeah. Certainly closer to the bottom than the top, I think. Although, no, no, maybe. It's just that there's a lot of people on zero points. So if you take them away, I'm definitely closer to the bottom. Fantasy football just is not my thing, you know? Uh, Wigan, tomorrow. It sort of goes without saying that we need to build on what we did at Stamford Bridge. Um, we can't let it slip again. We just can't. Uh, hopefully this new mentality will, will ensure that doesn't happen. Uh, the team news is that uh, Colo Toure is back, which is good. Uh, William Gallas is out. He's got a calf strain, but Johan Juru is fit despite being a doubt in midweek. Uh, we'll have Sylvester for defense as well if we if we think we need him. Uh, the other casualties, of course, are are the long-term ones. Uh, Diaby, uh, well, he's not long-term, but he sort of gets injured for four weeks at a time after playing for a week, so uh, you, you could consider him that way. Uh, Walcott, Rosicki, and Eduardo, who's back in full-time training with the first team. He was supposed to play a behind-closed-doors game, but I think illness kept him out of that, uh, and he's due to play in one of the reserve games in the very, very near future, so we we should see him maybe the far side of Christmas or New Year, I think, uh, starting to make his way back onto the bench. So that's it. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed that we can get things going again against Wigan. Uh, three points, an absolute must. So, uh, yeah, light candles, sacrifice goats, say prayers, whatever it is that you like to do, your own particular superstition. Uh, you, you go right ahead and do that, uh, and we'll get three points tomorrow. It's all down to you and your superstitions, you know. Yes, that lucky shirt, that lucky poo. Make it happen. Talk to you on next week's Arscast and, of course, all next week and all weekend on the blog. Cheers. Bye-bye. I know exactly where you're coming from here. You know, I was there at the game. I saw the incident. But, you know, as head of football at Sky, all I can tell you is that we've dealt with that situation the exact same way we would were it any other footballer. Yes. And look, if you if you just let me speak, yeah, you know, I know the player. Yeah, of course. Yeah, look, the fact that his leg was severed at the knee... Yes, of course, people are going to get a bit upset about it. But the referee gave him a yellow card. What more do you want us to do? We're not the football police. What? Well, look, yeah, of course. Uh, of course, yes. It's unusual to see the England captain uh, take a player whose leg has been severed and then rape him uh, repeatedly in the middle of the field while the match is going on. Yes, I know. And, and I agree with you. You know, beheading him and then waving his head around like he was brave hearty. Yes, of course. 
Yeah, you don't want to see that on a football pitch, but what benefit does it do any of us if we were to repeat that? You know, the lessons have been learned. I mean, that's it, that's it. You know, uh, we've all got to learn from this, especially, you know, the guy who, who ended up with his leg severed and raped and, and with his head off. You know, he's just got to accept the fact that if you go into a tackle with, with the England captain, they, this is what could happen, you know. So, yeah, well, good, good. Okay, I'm glad you understand. Yes, well, oh, we can take this up in the morning. Good, yes, good, bye, bye, bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.